0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Fit Over 40. I'm your host, Coach Clarence. And man, we have a lot to talk about today. One of the big questions I get all the time is, is my metabolism shot to hell? I can't seem to lose weight. Or sometimes I can't gain weight. Everybody's got a different scenario. Or I just stay put wherever I am, no matter what I do, even if I believe I'm doing everything right. So I'd like to provide some insight on this subject. And uh, welcome. You're listening to Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence. If you're over 40 and want to be the best version of yourself, Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence is here to help. Clarence Ferguson is a seasoned loan officer, fitness expert, personal chef, and entrepreneur who leads a revolution of men and women who want to live their best life going into middle age. Inspiring dialogue, challenging topics, and industry leaders are here offering tips and how-tos to improve your life. Now, here's Coach Clarence. All right, let's get into it. Grab a chair if you're driving, turn it up, relax, don't speed, don't get in trouble. If you're sitting down, take notes. You can stop and start. And at the end of the day, if any of this is interesting or complicated, or you want more information, or you want something that's specific to you, you gotta pick up the phone, you gotta email, you gotta reach out. And always, guys, make sure you like and subscribe to this stuff. It helps us keep these things moving along. Share it with a friend you think might be beneficial to. This is how we grow, this is how we help more people. All right, so the question, is my metabolism damaged or ruined? Many years of dieting, can that do long-term harm to the way my body processes food? Well, the answer would be not really, but gaining and losing fat can change the way your brain regulates your body weight. To understand this answer, let's explore how human metabolism actually works then we'll talk about whether the metabolism can actually be damaged. I always try to keep my talks relatively simple, but this is a complicated subject because we got to delve into the science of energy balance and thermodynamics and metabolic regulations. Now, if you love learning this stuff, feel free to dig in, listen or skim through the parts that you find interesting. But it's better to listen to the whole thing. I know some people do it. They start getting science block or it starts to get dull. I'll try to keep it exciting. And throwing my own little things here and there. This is from years of notes, my own research, my own coaching, guys I work with, guys I study with. So there's a lot of combined information, but it all comes together. So let's get to the obvious. okay? let's talk about what we know is facts that we can summarily figure out just through day to day operations, day to day observations. Okay, you need a certain amount of energy in the form of calories to stay alive, as well as to move around. You can get this energy from food or you can retrieve it from stored energy or your fat tissues. So in theory, if you eat less energy than you expend, you should lose weight, right? Or if you do the opposite, eat more energy than you expend, you should gain weight. In other words, we use the term body stores deliberately as it represents the tissues available for breakdown, such as fat, muscle, organ, bones, etc. And it excludes water, which can change body weight independently of energy balance. If you've ever gotten up and down on a scale or on a day-to-day basis, sometimes you just gain like 10 pounds. Other times you go crazy over the weekend, and you're down. So there's a lot more to this, There's a lot more nuance. So let's keep digging in. This relationship between energy in and energy out is called the energy balance equation. And it's most commonly accepted as the model for calculating a person's energy balance and how much weight they'll lose or gain over time. While the energy balance equation determines body weight, it doesn't tell us much about body composition, which is influenced by things like sex hormones, macronutrient intake, especially protein. Exercise style, frequency, intensity, age, medication use, genetic predisposition, predisposition, excuse me, and more. Okay, understandably, people get really frustrated and confused with the energy balance equation when the numbers don't seem to add up, or the results don't max their expectations. This is a good lesson, by the way, about the importance of adjusting your expectations to match observable reality. And it's a fair frustration most of the time because the numbers don't add up. Now, this mismatch between expectations versus reality is not because the energy balance is wrong or a myth. Nobody's body defies the laws of physics, even though sometimes it seems like that when you watch sports or just watch things people do. It's because the equation gets more complicated than it sounds. Many factors affect energy balance equation. They aren't mutually exclusive. What you do to energy affects what happens to energy out and vice versa. Eat less, move more. That's a good start, right? You've all heard that. Most of us could probably benefit from eating less and getting a little more daily activity. We all can agree on that. But that advice alone isn't enough. It doesn't take all of the complex intersecting factors into account. Now, let's look at some of these factors, starting with energy in, part of the equation. Energy in is trickier than you think. Reason number one, the number of calories in a meal likely doesn't match the number of calories on the labels or menu. This might sound really odd or hard to believe, but it's true. The way companies and even the government come up with calorie and nutrients estimates is incredibly complex, rather imprecise, to be honest. And it's old, to be honest. As a result, food labels can often be off as much as 20 to 25%. Years ago, I did an article called Liars write labels, but labels don't lie. Okay? Again, labels don't lie, but liars write labels. So there's some trickery there. I was, I was saying this years ago, folks. You can't believe people get paid big money to market to you that a certain thing is a certain thing that's not a certain thing. Okay? And even if those labels were correct, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. The amount of food... I'm sorry, the amount of energy a food contains in the form of calories is not necessarily the amount of energy we absorb, store, and or use. Remember that the food we eat has to be digested and processed by our unique bodies. The innumerable steps involved in digestion, processing, absorption, storage... use, as well as our own individual physiological makeup can change that energy balance game, baby. All day long, it can change, okay? So, for an instance, we observe less energy from minimally processed carbohydrates and fats because they're harder to digest. We absorb more energy from highly processed carbohydrates and fat because they're easier to digest. Think of it this way. The more processed a food is, the more digestion work is already done for you. I did a short... A reel on Instagram about this exact subject last Friday. You got to avoid eating too many processed foods if you really want to master this game. For example, research has shown that we absorb more fat from peanut butter than from whole peanuts. The researchers found that almost 38% of the fat in peanuts was extracted, excreted in the stool when you go to the bathroom, right? rather than absorbed by the body, whereas seemingly all the fat in the peanut butter was absorbed. In addition, we often absorb more energy from foods that are cooked and or chopped, soaked and blended because these processes break down plant and animal cells, increasing their bioavailability. Okay. Now, when you eat raw, starchy foods like sweet potatoes, we absorb very few of the calories. Now, after cooking, however, these starches are much more available to you. Sometimes tripling the number of calories absorbed. That's why you hear a lot of people say, watch your starches or maybe eat your starches around the times you work out, right? Because you might need more of that stuff, but you got to be careful. I see a lot of people who eat relatively healthy, and I'm doing air quotes, you can't see me, but they eat a lot of foods that are calorie dense, or energy dense, if you will, for our subject today. Interesting. Allowing starchy foods to cool down before you eat them, it decreases the amount of calories you can extract from them. This is mostly due to the formation of resistant starches, okay? Now, finally, we may absorb more or less energy depending on the types of bacteria in our guts. Some people have larger populations of bacteria and different types of bacteria that are very good at extracting calories from tough plant cell walls and other bacteria than other bacteria species. Okay, so there's different types of bacteria in your gut and they all do different things some better, some worse. It just depends on what's in your gut. So again, what does that got to do with how many calories? It's you individually. We keep, we'll keep keep going back to that concept. <clears throat> so here's an interesting example of whole process at work. The whole process. Okay, recently The USDA researchers asked test subjects to consume 45 grams or about one and a half servings of walnuts daily for three weeks. What they found on average, people only observed 146 of the 185 calories in the nuts. That's 79% of the calorie content on the label. Okay, a pause for effect. In similar research, people absorb only 80% of the calories in almonds and 95% of the calories in pistachios. Beyond the average, there were individual differences, obviously. Some people absorb more energy in the nuts, while some absorb less, likely due to different populations of bacteria in their large intestines, which we spoke about earlier. In the end, by eating a diet rich in whole, minimally processed foods, the number of calories you absorb can be significantly less than what you expect. Plus, they require more calories for you to digest conversely you will absorb more calories by eating a lot less of highly processed foods plus you'll burn fewer calories in the digestive process in addition highly processed foods are less feeling more energy dense and more likely to cause overeating like if you drink a lot you don't really feel those calories because you're drinking them but those processes will make you hungry that's why a lot of people go out after they party all night and they're drunk and they've they're, they go to Filiberto's and these crazy places and they just pile in the food. and A lot of people do that all the time. So, you know, they're gaining weight without even thinking about it, overheating all the time from that scenario. All right. Since the number of calories someone thinks they're consuming could be off by 25 percent or more, they, they're carefully curated daily intake of 1600 calories could really be more like 1200 or on the other side of that scale, 2000 calories. As you can see, there's a big margin of error for energy input, even if you're really a good calorie counter. Okay, this doesn't invalidate the energy balance equation. It just means that if you want to be very accurate and have an accurate calculation. You probably have to live in a fancy lab and be studied and probed and have scientists around you. But we have to be realistic, right? For most people, that's not worth the effort, nor is that a life you want to live. One thing that I know has worked for a lot of my clients is using hand-based measuring models for portions, okay? Or you can use food scales, which work very well. If you eat the same thing on a regular basis, you just weigh it, get the actual grams, calories and grams, and then that helps you really narrow down. That's a very good technique. That requires a little bit of coaching initially up front. But if you don't want to do that, use your hands for different sizes. And I have sheets I can give to you to kind of walk you through what that is. Put your hand, you take a look at your hand and you measure food that way. That works for a lot of folks. Some folks, they need extra. Everybody's different. Energy out varies a lot from person to person. Energy out, again, is energy burn throughout the day, the metabolism and moving around. It's very dynamic. It's also a changing variable. All right. So there are four parts to this complex system. I hope I'm not boring you. I'm going to try to keep it interesting. But this is how you understand what's going on with you. Number one is called a resting metabolic rate. Or you'll hear me use the acronym RMR. Resting metabolic rate. Okay? Metabolic. I get caught up with that word a lot. Metabolic. Metabolic. So a lot of times words run together. But I'll say it again so you don't. You know, get confused. So RMR is the number of calories you burn each day at rest just to breathe, think, and live. Just listen to this podcast. If you're bored, you're actually burning calories listening to me bore you. All right. This represents roughly 60% of your energy out. And it depends on your weight, your body composition, sex, age, genetic predisposition, and possibly, again, what type of gut health you have, what type of Bacteria is floating around your gut. People don't like to think about it, but gut health is a huge player in this situation. And I also remember, a bigger body in general has a higher resting metabolic rate. For instance, a 150-pound man might have a resting metabolic rate of 1,583 calories a day, as an example. Now, take a guy who's 250. He might have a resting metallic metabolic rate of 2164 I love those acronyms because I hate getting tongue tied with some of these words. So a guy like me uses a lot of acronyms. All right. So your resting metabolic rate varies up to fifteen percent from person to person. If you're that two hundred pound guy, you're gonna look way different on a treadmill what you actually burn than the other guy, and it could go either way. So. Don't, the moral of that story is don't pay attention to those numbers on the scale because you put in some general numbers and it gives you a range of stuff that is not even accurate. But if you just want to track, hey, this day I did more, you know, this day I did less. That's why those things are in place. So you can get the treadmill on the cows you burn. There's too many things going on inside you for those things to be accurate. But they're fun to just track. Like if you want to just track progress. Well, one day I burned 100. One day I burned 150. I'm making progress in theory. Okay, but just keep that in mind. That's not very accurate. I've had people tell me how many cows they burn on their treadmill or their bike, and it's like, yeah, right. Okay, number two. This is called the thermic effect of food. You'll see that as TEF. This may surprise you, but it takes energy to digest food. Digestion is an active metabolic process. Have you ever heard of meat sweats? Or have you ever felt hot after a big meal, especially one with lots of protein? That's the effect of food. The thermic effect of food gives you that. TEF is the number of calories burned by eating, digesting, and processing food. This re- represents roughly five to ten percent of your energy out. Get that five to ten percent of your energy out is just that: digesting, eating, processing your food. In general, you'll burn more calories in your effort to digest and absorb protein, 20 to 30% of your calories, and carbs, 5 to 6%, than you do fats, which is 3%. Okay? As noted before, you'll burn more calories digesting minimally processed whole foods compared to highly processed foods. Okay? Less work for your body to deal with it. Pretty simple. The third thing is physical activity or PA. PA is the calories you burn from purposeful exercise, such as walking, running, going to the gym, gardening, riding a bike, chasing your dog around the park, whatever. Obviously, how much energy you expend through physical activity will change depending on how much you intentionally move around, right? Then there's four, which is one of my favorite. It's non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT. NEAT is the calories you burn through fidgeting, staying upright, and all these other physical activities. Except for purposeful exercise. This too varies from person to person. Like you might be sitting here going nuts with my voice. You're actually going through NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Okay? So this means energy out equals resting metabolic rate, plus the thermic effect of eating, plus physical activity, plus NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Each of these things are highly variable, which means the energy outside of the equation may be just as hard to pin down as the energy in. See why this gets complicated and it's not as simple as numbers. This is why we need coaching folks to walk you through it, track numbers and see where things are going. Now, so while energy balance sounds simple in principle, all these variables make it hard to know or control exactly how much energy you're taking in, absorbing, burning and storing. All right. Let me give you the big equation. Changes in body stores equals actual calories eaten minus calories not absorbed. Minus resting metabolic rate, plus the thermogenic effect, plus your physical activity, and plus your neat things you're just doing sitting around. Okay, that's a lot to try to figure out for the average Joe. And guess what? When you try to outsmart your body, it's way smarter than you because it's trying to survive. You're just trying to be slick and go, I ate this many calories and I'm this and look at me. And why is it going wrong? Well, this is why it's going wrong. There's a lot going on, folks. This is not its simple, but it can be complicated. Again, I'm going to say it a hundred times on this podcast. Every time I come on the air, you need coaching. I have a coach. I've been in fitness for 32 years. I have a coach. You need other eyes outside of yours because we know um, through data that our own eyes tell us things that are not true, like he loves me or she loves me. No, she don't, bro. She just smiled at you at the mall. She doesn't love you. We tell us that, oh, I'm not eating that much. Oh, I look great. Yeah, maybe some other eyes might help you. Okay. Now, even if all the variables in this equation were just static, like your energy balance equation, if things just get crazy, when you consider if you alter any one of those variables, it causes adjustments in the other ones, even though these are seemingly unrelated variables. But that's OK. This is a good thing. Of course, our human metabolisms evolved to keep us alive and functioning when food was scarce. But there was only one consequence of that. When the energy in goes down, energy out goes down to magic. You burn fewer calories in response to eating less. What did I say, folks? Trying to lose weight by not eating is a mistake. I see really obese people and they say, I don't eat that much. But then I'm thinking, look at the weight you're carrying around. Look at the, the calories required to move all this weight. And then your body thinks it's starving. So what is it doing? It's holding on to everything. I mean, that sounds simple, but you'd be surprised how many people don't get that. Eating less than your your daily requirements is not going to help you lose weight. You have to balance all this stuff out with coaching, with tracking, with doing all these important things. Now, now obviously there's always the outliers, people who are different. Okay. And so none of this is perfect. But that's how our system is supposed to work. This is how our bodies avoid unwanted weight loss and starvation. It slows down. This is how we've survived for too many years. The body fights to main homeostasis meaning some normalcy for lack of a big scientific definition. Okay? Years ago we had to go hunt and gather our food. Now you can drive around the corner and gather all the food you can stand and some people eat all that food. Okay? So again, likewise when your energy goes in goes up, energy out tends to go up too. You burn more calories in response to eating more. To illustrate my little point here, since you can't see me, here's how your body tries to keep your weight steady when you take in less energy to start to lose weight. Okay, the thermic effect of the food goes down because you're eating less, right? That makes sense. Your resting metabolic rate goes down because you weigh less. Calories burned through physical activity go down since you weigh less. Your need or non-exercise activity thermogenesis goes down because you eat less. Calories not absorbed go down because you absorb more of what you eat. This response is particularly modest at first. okay, But then the adaptation really starts to ramp up as you lose more weight. Or if you're starting out lean and trying to get super lean, that's tougher. So let me go in deeper and show you what that looks like. Changes in body stores... Equals actual calories eaten minus calories not absorbed minus resting metabolic rate minus the thermal effects of eating plus physical activity plus need. When the actual calories eaten dramatically decreases, other variables might increase or decrease. So it is crazy, folks. In addition to these tangible effects on equation, reducing actual calories eaten also causes hunger signals to increase, causing us to crave and maybe eat more. What happens when people go on a diet? They crave stuff they're used to eating. They get hungry. They get hangry. You know when someone's dieting, they just walk around in a mood. You don't have to do that. And that's a conversation for another day. You don't have to do to these extremes to get to a healthy weight or healthy life. Okay, the net effects of this leads to a lower rate of weight loss than you might expect. In some cases, it could even lead to weight regain, that cycle of up and down, up and down. To add insults to injury, a rise in cortisol from the stress of dieting can cause our bodies to hold on to more water, making us feel softer, less lean than we actually are. Interesting. Interesting, right? Interestingly, this is just one example of the amazing and robust response of trying to manipulate one variable. In this case, just the calories you're eating. That's the only thing you're messing with. Let's just say all you do is I'm not going to eat as much. Okay. There are similar responses to trying to manipulate the other variables. Same thing. For example, research is showing us that increasing physical activity above a certain threshold by exercising more than you need to, going crazy, going to the freaking CrossFit gym, going, starting to boxing or doing something extreme that you don't normally do. Can trigger increased appetite and more actual calories eaten. It could decrease calories not absorbed as we absorb more of what we eat. It decreases R E. I'm sorry, R M R, and decreases your need. In this case, here's what the equation would look like. In the end, there are just two of the many examples I could share with you. The point is, the metabolism is much more complicated and interdependent than most people realize. Therefore, trying what used to work for you or relying on calorie count often won't get you the results you want. As your energy balance evolves, so must the strategies for losing fat and maintaining your weight. Okay. Understanding energy balance means setting up better expectations about body change. It's important to know that if you have a lot of body fat to lose. Okay. Many of these adaptations, they don't happen right away. But as you become leaner, this adaptative thermogenesis kicks in. It's also important to know that your metabolism reacts to changes and energy balance will be unique to just you. So if me and you both started and we start doing the same things, we're going to have two different responses. One of us might get to the end quicker. One of us may Not get anywhere one of us might go back our metabolism. Our bodies are very unique in how we respond So what worked for your girlfriend may not work for you and what works for the guy on Instagram may not work for you We have to learn the basics. We are always trying to do extra instead of forgetting the basics Go back to basics how much you lose or gain will depend on age your genetic makeup, your biological sex, if you've had relatively more or less body fat, and for how long? Are you taking any medications? Are you on hormones? You know, what about the makeup of your gut? And probably a whole lot of factors I don't even know about. But I'll bring them to you as soon as I find out. Stay tuned. All right. But let's try to simulate or simulate, better word, not stimulate, because that's a triggering word. Simulate how all this can work, actually. OK, <clears throat> scientists have studied the data from people who have lost weight and created a mathematical model that represents, <clears throat> excuse me, how weight and fat loss actually happens in the real world. OK, get your pen ready. Yes, I'm about to drop a gym. Get ready to pick it up. All right. So let's take a 40 year old man named Tony. Tony has a starting weight of 235 and a height of 510. Tony looks pretty good. He's, you know, 5'10". He's pretty buff. He looks like he just ran off the field playing running back. Now, Tony, he works a desk job and is only lightly active outside of work. So this calculates that he needs 2,976 calories of energy per day to maintain his current weight. Now, if Tony decided to knock off 500 calories per day, His intake drops to 2,476 calories daily, and he doesn't plan on changing any of his physical activity. Now, you've probably heard somewhere that a pound is equivalent to 3,500 calories, which means that if we take away those 500 calories from Tony every day, he should lose one pound a week. 500 times seven days is 3,500 calories. You've heard this before he should end up at 183 after about a year of consistently eating 500 fewer calories a day. According to this math, he would weigh zero pounds in five years, which, listening to me give that scenario, if it didn't raise some red flags to you, you should be concerned. But we know it doesn't work this way in real life. At the end of the year, Frank gets on the scale, he's 205. What the hell? That's 22 more pounds than he should be. I keep saying Frank because I'm actually using an actual client. (laughs) So, Frank, if you're listening, I'm sorry, man. Anyway, I was trying to switch it to Tony. I keep catching myself. All right. We're talking about Tony, air quotes, wink, wink. All right. So, Tony rages to his wife, Maria. That Clarence is screwing me, taking my money, and I'm still not where I want to be. Okay. She's 42, and she's been trying to lose weight since having two kids in her mid-30s. Tell me about it, she says. I've lost and gained the same 10 pounds over and over, even though I've been eating and exercising pretty healthy. So they both think, maybe we should do a juice cleanse that that homegirl that's in my inbox that's talking shit about Clarence is telling me we should be doing, okay? My body's obviously broken. No, nope, folks, nobody's body is broken. Don't hit that juice cleanse just yet. Hear me out. Instead, Tony and... Maria, will just say, could both benefit from a clear understanding of how actually weight loss works. They can set an appropriate behavior pattern, behavior goals, and have realistic expectations for their progress. Follow me here, folks. Okay. Just the good news. Tony and Maria decided against the juice fast, and they enrolled in some coaching, more intense coaching. Because they were frustrated. And once I went through a lot of this and really checked the numbers, they weren't doing everything they were supposed to. But now that they got on track, they are now getting down to where they need to be. Frank is at 185. And Maria is thinking she wants to buy a mountain bike. Both of them lost weight after we got them on A correct program and it's sustainable. They haven't gained it back. Remember, Maria talked about the ten pounds she kept losing and gaining. And Tony slash Frank at this point doesn't matter. um, Was able to get that weight off, and he looks great. He's got some muscle. He's not just looking skinny fat. He doesn't have that dad bod anymore. So, good true story. All right. So, does dieting damage the metabolism? Despite what you have heard, no, losing weight doesn't damage your metabolism because. Of the adaptations your body undergoes in response to fat loss to prevent that fat loss. In fact, energy output for those who have lost significant weight will always be lower than people who are always lean. OK, now losing weight and keeping it off is accompanied by adaptative, metabolic, neuroendocrine, anatomic and other changes. Big scientific words, things that are happening inside your body. OK, these changes mean that we expend less energy around five to ten percent less or up to fifteen percent less at extreme levels than would be predicted based on just weighing less. Unfortunately, because of this adaptative response, someone who's dieted down will often require five to ten percent few calories per day to maintain the weight and physical activity level that someone who's always been that weight. Or even less potentially, because as we learned in the beginning, your resting metabolic rate of people of the exact same height weight can still vary by another 15%. So this means someone who has never been overweight might need 2,500 calories to maintain their weight. While someone who had to die down to that weight may only need 21, 25, or maybe 2,375 calories to hold steady. We don't know how long this lowered energy expenditure lasts. OK, but studies have shown us that it can hang around for up to seven years after weight loss or more. Seven years has been. That has been really studied, right? This likely means it might be permanent or at least persistent. OK, this is extra relevant for people who have repeatedly dieted or for fitness competitors who may have repeatedly fluctuated between being extremely lean and being overweight in the off season. Now, to uh, keeping it 100, I don't have. All the data to back this up. What I'm going to say next. To my knowledge, I don't think anybody studied it. But I could be wrong. But adaptative, adaptative thermogenesis seems to react more strongly and more rapidly with each successful yo-yo of extreme body fat fluctuation. I feel confident saying that. I think a lot of people agree with me. You know, some people might be yelling at the TV or the radio, however they listen to this podcast, going, you're crazy. Again, I don't have the data. This is just some things I've seen with people I've worked with, okay? All of this explains why some people can feel like they've damaged their metabolism through repeated dieting and why some experts, uh, air quotes, suggest metabolic damage is a real thing. But has it really been damaged? Or is it the body just adapting to the, the situation that it's being put in, you know? The body has become more predictably more sensitive to various hormones and neurotransmitters. These metabolic rates are understandably lower than predicted by various laboratory equations and studies. And So where does this leave us? All right, I'm getting all over the place. I'm rambling like I do. It's good I have a podcast so I can just ramble. Listen, folks whose bodies resist fat loss or muscle gain can accomplish the goals they want. All physiological changes, including weight loss or weight gain, muscle loss, muscle gain, require different efforts and amounts of time for different people. But even if your body does resist weight loss, you can still lose fat, gain, muscle and dramatically change your body. That is what I'm trying to say with all this makes sense. Okay. the psychology of weight loss is very complicated, but the best strategies for losing fat and keeping it off do not have to be. So let's run through those basics really quick and we'll move on. And I'll get you out of here with some good information. All right. Can you tell I've given this talk? I said, I'll get you out of here. You're already out of here. If you don't want to be on this podcast, you can just turn it off again. I am reading from my notes. All right. Number one, eat plenty of protein. Protein is essential when trying to lose weight or fat for a lot of reasons. Protein helps you keep that all-important lean body mass, which includes connective tissues, organs, bones, as well as muscle. Protein significantly increases satiety, means you feel full despite eating less. And eating more protein causes people to feel to eat less overall, right? Just by eating more protein, you burn more calories because the food is increased thermic effect of food, Right. For example, if you're eating 2,500 calories a day, 15% from protein, 50% from carbs, and 35% from fats, that's roughly an average for most U.S. adults, right? You're burning approximately 180 calories, 185 calories just through digestion, okay? Maintain your total caloric intake, but increasing protein to 30 percent, drop carbs to 40 percent and whittle fat to 30 percent. And your thermogenic effect of food goes up roughly 265 calories a day. All right. What does that mean? Get your protein servings in every day. I'm not going to talk about the individual sizes. That's a whole podcast. You know, a simple way to do it. Six. Four to six size servings of protein per day. For active women, four to six size servings per day. I'm just using the palm size because I'm not coaching you individually. I still think if you get a scale, it's going to be more accurate. But let's just get to a place where we can maintain. And that's easy to do if you're out at a restaurant. You can just look at your hand. Very few people are weird enough to carry their scales around. Hashtag Clarence did that for a while and <laughs> until I figured out measuring palm versus um, the uh, scale. But I don't, I'm not knocking the scale. I think the scale is important. All right. Obviously, folks, eat a variety of fruits, vegetables, and quality carbs and healthy fats. Vegetables are loaded with vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, water, and fiber to help fill you up during meals. Stay full between meals and keep you healthy and recover from your workouts. Six to eight servings of fruit and veggies, And quality carbs and healthy fat for most men. And again, four to six servings for most active women. That's general, guys. These are general recommendations. You have to go through it and see where your body's at. Okay. The carbs fuel you while you're training. They boost leptin, a super important hormone. It keeps up sex hormones and prevents you from feeling deprivation. And the fats also keep up our sex hormones, boost the immune system, suppress excess inflammation, and make food taste really damn good. All right. So if you want complete guys to what I think you should be at, I'm going to give you a couple of different things based on a few scientific names, from questions I ask and information you give me. We can get close to those things, but we work together for perfection, okay? We're close as we can get to um, perfection, if you will. All right, keeping it simple, be ready, willing, and able to adjust your portions. As we go on, then we reassess, we track, we take notes, we see how we feel. Okay? Simple stuff. Now, please note that this concept is very complex. I don't expect you to take this and figure it all out. I expect you to get the basic concepts. Okay? So many things influence what, why, and what we choose to eat. And even when, too often eating and body size, fatness are blamed on lack of knowledge, lack of willpower, discipline, or laziness. In reality, food intake and body composition are governed by a mix of psychological, biological, physiological, social, economic and lifestyle influences, along with individual knowledge or beliefs. One of the simplest ways to make your decision process easier is to create an environment that encourages good food choices and discourages poor ones. This can mean making changes to your daily routine. We talk about all that time. Who you hang out with, where you spend your time. If you hang out at the strip club, it's not going to always be the best food choices, right? And what food is readily available to you. These are all choices you can make to change your external environment. Now, remember, weight loss can and should be relatively slow to maintain. So again, this gray air, some people and say different things. I say lose a half to one percent of your body weight per week. That is manageable from what I see in my clients. Some other trainers might have different numbers. I think when you start going higher than that, it's hard to maintain. You have to do extreme things to keep it. My opinion, I think that's a good number. Half to one percent of your body weight per week. This helps maintain the muscle that you've gained and minimize the adaptive metabolic responses to lower calorie intake and resulting weight loss. Faster weight loss tends to result in more muscle loss without extra fat loss, as well as larger metabolic responses. Okay, Here's another one you could do. Cycle calories and carbs. Yes, cycle calories and carbs, not just carbs. Calories, too. For folks who are trying to get really lean, at some point you just can't rely on linear diet to get you there you got to cycle calories, cycle your carbs. You can help to limit how much metabolic response you get from that. Also, a good way to track so you can figure out your individual needs. Okay, Now, obviously, that's more high-level strategy, like for a fitness competitor or an athlete who needs to get lean. But I've seen that work with regular people. Again, you have to be good at tracking, getting on your coaching calls, and being available for good feedback. Okay. then there's, you know, times if you get really lean, you know, you need to refeed. You know, there are strategic ways to cycle in calories and carbohydrates where you need to just eat some good food. Just eat, refeed every once in a while. You know, again, another high level strategy. You need to be coached through that so you don't overdo it. All right. This is an exercise one. Do a mixture of resistance, cardiovascular, and then recovery activity. Resistance training helps you maintain vital muscle mass, burn calories, and improve glucose tolerance. Cardiovascular exercise we know improves the health of our cardiovascular system, helping you expand energy and improve recovery. But don't overdo one or the other. Don't be all over here or all over there. Mix it up. Let's not forget our recovery work. Meditation, foam rolling, walking, yoga reading good books, being around positive people that helps you maintain your consistency and intensity with the resistance and cardio training. And I hate that word cardio. We're just moving more. We're burning calories, but it's a word. Okay, all those things become more effective when you take the recovery work in. Okay, I think you should aim for a minimum. And I know we don't want to say minimums, but I think you should aim for three and a half. I'm sorry, three to five hours. Per week of purposeful activity. That means you're thinking about it. I'm going to walk today for a little. I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to chase my kids. Something. And my favorite. Find ways to increase your need. Even small increases in activity can account for hundreds of daily activities. And therefore make a big difference in our fat loss efforts, right? Here's some ideas. Get a stand-up desk. They even got treadmill desks. Fidget. Like you're doing right now, listen to me. Going nuts, right? Pace while you're on the phone. Take the stairs. Park your car far. You've heard all this stuff before. We're just talking about moving. Developing a solid nightly routine can help you manage your stress. Make sure you're getting a lot of sleep. Sleep is just as important as your success and in, in your nutrition and weight loss is is the same. You you can't do all this other stuff and not and have a shitty sleeping routine. It doesn't work. You're just gonna, that, that particular part of this equation is gonna offset the other stuff. Okay. Try to lower your stress. Okay. You lower your stress, you lose a lot of body water. You often notice that people who lost fat just by lowering some of the stress in their life, because we know inflammation is part of this. That goes down. So that's another win. So you need to do mental and emotional stress relief. You know, different things that keep you, focused, positive, powerful. That's what we try to do in our group with our activities and our challenge. And then the final thing I'm going to show you or say to you, have some compassion and patience with yourself. There are going to be meals or days when you don't eat like you should. It's okay. It happens to everybody. Recognize it, accept it, forgive yourself, and then get back on track. You know, Research actually shows that when you're compassionate and and there's flexible eating, It's always associated with lower BMI, a healthier body weight, lower self-reported calorie intake, less anxiety and stress, and a better relationship with food. We all need to work on having a better relationship with food. All right. If you made it through the end of this and you want a personal consultation, reach out to me, book30withcoach.com. Or if you have a question or you want to be a guest on the show, email info at coachclarence.com. All right, folks, until next time, we'll see you. Later.